Welcome. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Over the next three weeks, we will be um, offering an opportunity for you guys to vote on um, church leadership. Church leadership is made up of you, and we have cards um, that give directions on how to do that um, all around the worship center here, and we'll give you more specific information um, in your mailboxes, as email inboxes, as well as over the next two Sundays. But SRT, trustees, and um, our finance uh, team, which I've forgotten exactly what that's called. Finance team, Susan, is that right? Sounds good. It's if it communicates what it does, right? That's more important than if we get it exactly right. So you can uh, look to that. We hope you'll participate in doing that. That's over the next three uh, next three Sundays. So uh, I'm so glad to be with y'all in this text starting this series. That was an incredibly well-made sermon bumper there. If you are with us online, I hope you were able to see it as well. This week we are looking at God's goodness. We are in the first chapter, the first book of the Bible. And the thing I want us to uh, push back on today together is... I think too often we doubt God's goodness. Now, we may not realize that we're doing so, but I think that, I think that we do. And it is very important for us to not as much as possible. Now, we have ways we can, we can help one another steer clear of that. There are certainly seasons in our life that that is more possible than others. Perhaps you're going through such a season now. But you know, we're, we're here, and all that we have is here and around us. And those of us who uh, at least are here because maybe if we're not following Jesus, we either, we, we at least are wondering what that is like, or we have some history with the church that found us here this morning or found us online this morning tuning in. We believe that God created all that there is. And I think if we look closely enough at that which is, we, we, we will see that there's much more good or the good outweighs the bad. But again, that's not always the way we feel. It's not always the way we feel. So we sure do need one another to keep reminding each other about God's goodness, to help us remember to count our blessings, to remember that God is indeed good. So let's go back to the the very beginning. If you haven't read it in a while, the first two verses of chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water, waters. A couple of things about this right here. Our text tells us that the earth was formless and empty. Now, 
I believe it's important for us to remember or to know that this was written for a specific people. This was written for God's people, the Israelites, specifically in a time to encourage them in their wandering. You see, they have been freed at this point from bondage in Egypt, and they are wandering in the desert, heading toward the promised land, which God has promised them, but they have not arrived there yet. There are people in exile, promised that which God has promised them, and not yet there. Many of them came to the point where they wanted to go back to Egypt. Brilliant singer-songwriter Sarah Groves uh, I don't know if this is a deep cut or not, Marty, but I love this song. It's called Painting Pictures of Egypt, and she so eloquently describes what's going on here. They are wondering if all of this wandering is worth it. At least in Egypt, they had people looking out for them. Even in their slavery, it seems a strange position to take. But a people in exile wondering when God was going to come through with God's promises fully come through. This is how they got, and it's how we can get at times too. So this word comes to them, and it's important for us to realize the Scripture did not begin with the inception of this group of people. It does not begin with Abraham and Sarah and God's promise, even in their old age, to bless them with a child and for their descendants to be as many as the stars in the sky. That's in Genesis 12. In Genesis 1, God is introduced as creator. Indeed, the Bible begins with creation. And the Bible is a story first about God and how God works throughout all of this creation through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Now, remember last week, if you were here or tuned in, we went through a bit of Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, when the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus to come to the people, to come upon the people and to give them power. And then they, we would become witnesses for Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And from that, we gleaned that God is everywhere. And God is inclusive that God is one and the Shema that the Israelites would, would speak to themselves and one another each morning when they would wake up, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that we looked at two weeks ago. This declares that God is one, and being one, God is God of all, not specific to any one people, nation, or race. So the story, to begin like this with the telling of creation and for the writer to describe creation before creation came about, the way things were as formless, as as void, as empty, this strikes me as being potentially very helpful to a people in exile because the wilderness was was formless in many ways and void in many ways, a, a wasteland of sorts, vacant, futile. And maybe, just maybe, the Israelites were being, with this word, put in a position to to believe, to stop 
painting their pictures in the sand of what they knew and to lean into what they may not have completely known but could believe, could taste, could see. And we call that new creation. And maybe, just maybe, when we read this together today, regardless of the void that we may feel in our lives, regardless of whether or not we are trudging through 18 months of a pandemic, which we are, that we too could hold on to the truth and feel that just maybe God is set to break into our lives with new creation. Because I believe that God is. Now, it was important for the Israelites to realize that God's timing is perfect. And God, the creator, is in control. This long obedience in the same direction that we mentioned during the prayer time that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago is so important. Because our timing is not always God's. But we must, as people of God, those following and being formed by Jesus, we must trust in God's timing over our own. And we do so precisely because God is good. And our text, I believe, proclaims God's goodness by showing us that God is creator and has created creation that is good. That's my prayer for you this morning, for us, that, that we believe that God is good because we just look around. And we can see the good. Now, if your television is on MSNBC or Fox News all week, it's going to be harder to believe that. Because the world majors in the bad news. Because that's what keeps us tuned in. But I think there's more good news. And I need you to help me remember that. One of my favorite preachers, I tell you about him all the time, the late Fred Craddock, he speaks of a time when this, our ancestors, apparently we don't do this anymore, we don't in my house as much as I would like, they would go and do something called marveling. And maybe you know about this, maybe you participate in it, but as an individual or as a couple or as a family, maybe even as a neighborhood getting together, and it typically would happen on a Sunday afternoon. So you could do it today. And they would go out. And they would look for marvelous things. Maybe a four-leafed clover. Unusual wildflowers. Unusual rocks. You know, marvelous things. And they would collect them. And they would bring them back to the house. And they would show each other the marvelous things that they had found. Does that sound simple? I hope it doesn't sound silly to you. Wonderful practices like this can be drowned out by all the technology and marvelous things we have our, at our disposal anymore. But if I'm honest and I look back to some of my fondest childhood memories, they happen with my brothers in the woods behind our house. And I remember those days so fondly. And I see glimpses of it with my children. We have a four-year-old baby girl who runs our house. Her name's Hattie. 
And she asks often to take our dog Annie down the street to the creek that's a block or so down from her grandparents' house. We're still living with Leslie's parents, bless them. May not ever move. Our house is being worked on. Pray for, pray for Leslie's parents, actually. Hattie wants to go down to the creek. And she wants to play in the creek with Annie. And she wants to stay there as long as she can. And she wants to find things that are interesting there. Or maybe Hattie on the beach, where she is going to collect every single olive-shaped olive shell that she can find and put them in a bag and keep them until Jesus returns. Or the flowers that she picks and brings to her mother. Because to her, they're just the prettiest thing she's ever seen. She picks some of those flowers from her grandmother's garden, and she's not supposed to pick those, but we're working on that. Hattie marvels. She gets it. And this is an important thing to realize about this. A big part of her marveling is that she's four. And she doesn't know any better. Or maybe she does know better. Are you still childlike at all in your faith? Or has the world beaten that out of you? God has given us no shortage of things to marvel at. The creation story in chapter 1 speaks of all that God has created. All that is marvelous, right? The sun and the moon, come on. Water and land, living creatures, women and men. And what does God say about all of it? It's good. It's good. Look at verse 31 again. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good indeed. It was very good indeed. What God made is very good. One might say marvelous, wonderful. The ability to marvel, it denotes a sense of wonder in our lives. Cam is going to be working with Kairos, is working with Kairos. And Kairos has had a, a change recently. If you're not aware, Kairos is our ministry, uh, specifically on Brentwood's campus to young adults been around for a long time. And uh, our Kairos pastor moved on to God's next calling for him. And Mike Harder is our new uh, Kairos pastor. And I got to spend a couple hours with Mike this week. So encouraging, Cam. I'm really excited for you. Mike's a good dude. And he was telling me about y'all's, you know, plans, your dreams, your desires for the ministry. And Mike said that the number, you know, the, the thing at the top of the list to communicate is for folks to rediscover wonder in worship. Did I get that right? To rediscover wonder in worship. It's the first thing on a really good list of hopes and dreams for the Kairos ministry over the next few weeks and months and, and years. To rediscover wonder in worship. Now, our worship 
is not relegated to one hour a week. I hope you've heard me talk about this some or you've talked about it with one another. I have a poster in my office that reminds me of this. It's one over 168. There are 168 hours in a week. And we are called to worship all of those. Yes, we are to gather in this specific hour whenever it is that we worship corporately, and that is so important. But it's all important. God has called us to give our entire selves to God and God's kingdom, to, to serve with our lives. I, I'm, I'm, this is not in my notes, but I was texted this morning by one of our, our um, women who uh, spent the weekend at Beth Moore uh, Ministries, Living Proof Ministries. She came to town, and uh, um, a girl in our church tweeted at Beth Moore. And got tweeted back at, which is super cool. And I, I saw what it said, and it said, I was, uh, our church members said, we're so glad to be with you. Thank you. And Beth Moore said, it was an honor to serve you. I loved that perspective. I'm not surprised somebody like Beth Moore would understand how to put serve in that response. Did you know the words worship? And service are tautologists. They effectively mean the same thing. So for us to call this a worship service, which is fine, keep doing that. I'm not telling you not to do that, but it's a bit redundant. There is no worship that is not service. There is no service that is not worship. So maybe this morning you feel like the Israelites perhaps felt in the wilderness, feeling like you're in exile, you are in a dry and difficult season. I want to encourage us this morning to not waste time wondering or worrying about why good or bad things happen when they do or when they don't. Here's what I learned this week about what early church father Augustine encourages us to do. Augustine says this, to focus on the good things that are peculiar to the good. What does this mean? Well, I think it means that we're to do good. Serve, worship, give our entire selves to God in response to God's good creation. And we should trust that God will bring about and reveal the good that comes from the good that we throw ourselves into. Now, the difference is this. And this, this hits right with what the gospel really is and what we get confused about what the gospel is. Remember, the gospel is not that we are obedient to God so that God will give us, will love us. The gospel is our obedience is derived from God's love for us, that God already does love us. Well, we're to do good as a response to God being good rather than doing good to get good things from God. Do you see the difference? We're to do good as a response to God's goodness. This is why doubting God's goodness is so dangerous. We are not to do good to get good things. From God. Now, one of the ways this has been made most clear to me 
is through something I heard Andrew Peterson say a few years ago. Andrew Peterson, um, some of you know I've talked about him all the time. I'm a big, big fan of his songwriting, his writing in general. Here's what he said. He said, in every song I write, I'm simply trying to help explain the gospel in the most beautiful way I can. Love that. And since I heard him say that, I've actually tried to approach sermon writing the same way. And, and maybe that kind of thinking is exclusive to those of us who are creating regularly, who are writing or, or, you know, doing creative things, but I don't think so. I think that is a beautiful and a good way, very good way to describe what any of us are doing with our lives. Think about it. In how I approach my relationships, I am trying to proclaim the beauty of the gospel. In my work, I am trying to demonstrate the beauty of the gospel. In the way that I interact with my parents, even as a 41-year-old who's been gone a long time, I am trying to uh, live out the beauty of the gospel. In the way that I parent my children, whew, I'm trying to teach y'all what the gospel is like. In the way that I serve alongside you, I am participating with God's very children in God's very kingdom, living out the truth of the gospel. And in each of these examples and so many others, what we see happening is new creation. card in my pocket. I'm so glad it's there. We sang it in the first song. You've done great things. You will also do great things. God is also doing great things. Because God is good, God is still creating. And we should celebrate the activity of God. You see, God is not a spy in the sky. God somewhere else, looking down, rewarding or punishing for good or bad behavior. God is with us, for us, unto us, breaking into our lives in so many different ways. N.T. Wright is one of our foremost New Testament theologians, and he tells a story of early in his ministry and his teaching. He was the chaplain at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. And as the chaplain of the university, part of his what he got to do each fall semester was meet with every incoming freshman at some point in his office one-on-one. And, and he talked about this in light of what we're talking about because he coined this phrase, first time I'd heard it like this, the spy in the sky idea of God. And he got it from the students that would come visit him. They knew they were going to meet with the chaplain and they would come in prepared, much more with their answers than with any Questions. This spy in the sky God is, again, looking down, seeking to punish or reward, reward based on behavior. And the student's conversation with him would go something like this. This is what he said. I know what you're going to, the student would say, I know what you're going to try to get me to do, Dr. Wright. You're going to pledge some kind of allegiance to, to your God or attend so many chapels this semester. And listen, I'll do what I have to do. I'll do what I'm required to do, but I am not going to change my mind. I don't believe in that spy in the sky, God. Dr. Wright would quickly, compassionately, 
and excitedly respond with this. Well, I am so glad to hear that because I don't believe in that God either. Can I tell you about Jesus? What I find most sad about this impression of God, this spy in the sky, is that it positions God as impersonal, as anti-relational, even as standoffish. But that is not what God is like. And if you're realizing that that is the idea that you had about God, I love coffee. And let me buy you some and tell you about Jesus. Verse two, look at it again. Spirit of God, look down at the last clause. The spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Verse 26, look down at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We see evidence of what God is like here and that God is in God's Trinitarian state. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, relational. Not only with God's self, but with you and me as well. A few times through the years, Leslie Ann and I have been invited to what are called writer's nights. Now, maybe you know what I'm talking about. We do live in Nashville. There is no shortage of these to to go around, but writer's nights are so cool. And we get to go, uh, with a couple times we've gotten to go, you get to listen to, you know, those who wrote the songs. Now, no offense to the people who make the songs famous by singing them and appearing on the radio, but there is something special about hearing the songs, many of which we already know, And not only hearing them sing the songs, but talk about them, to set the context for them, to tell how they came about, for the writer to to indicate what was going on in their lives or in the, the world when these songs came to be. Listen, there is always a why behind creation. There's always, whatever is created, there's a reason, there's a why. And why did God create the world? Why did God create the world? God loves humans. All humans. God specializes in loving and caring for creation. You are separate from all other creation in that what? What our text just told us. You are made in God's image. You are made in God's image to be who God has called you to be with specific work. Ephesians 2.10 says, set apart for you to do those who are following and being formed by Jesus. You have a call on your life and you can live into it. And, and it works that way. It's, it's how to figure out in our bones that God is good to live into that 
which we are called to live into. God is still creating. God is still working. This God that we read of in Genesis chapter 1 is with you, seeking to work through you to change your life. And the greatest work set apart for you, the first thing set apart for you, is for you to lay it all down. For you to believe that God has created all that there is and that it's good and that through his son Jesus, who gave his life for you and me, we can be with God forever. The work from you going from dead and me to new creation that's some of the greatest work that God is doing and God can do it in your life regardless of who you are or what you've done let's pray